We are looking at the life of Peter, who's one of my favorite guys. He's just in and out, up and down, all around, emotionally driven, talks when he shouldn't, is silent when he shouldn't be. He's just foot-in-mouth kind of guy, but I love him. He's, he's honest, he's open, he's courageous, uh, he suffers for the kingdom. There are many things that attract me to him. Today we're look, to looking at learning our lessons. What does it mean to, to learn lessons? Okay, so I'm going to start with a question. Just be really brutally honest today. This day is really a living room day to talk about some, some really kind of personal things. So, have you asked this question of someone or has it ever been asked of you? Now, here's the question, quote. So what have you learned through this? How many of you have received that more than you've asked it? Boy, in my life, my, my dad, he believed in spankings, okay? Not brutal. He was always in love and kindness and care and the way he did it. I, I appreciated it. But um, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate it compared to anger and wrath. I mean, he wasn't that. But anytime us kids would get in trouble, there were five of us. And, and he died young, so my last year was 14 with him. But that's a lot of years, 14 years. And that's probably a lot of spankings, you know, in my life. But... But I remember he would always make us come and sit with him after we would get in trouble, whether there was a spanking or not. And he would, he would say this thing, so Jerry, what, what have you learned through all this? And usually I would say, nothing. <laughs> and, and he would say, no, really think about it. Um, what do you learn? That I can't hit my sister. <laughs> Why did you hit your sister? Did you learn that? Did you figure that out? Do you... Do you do you not like your sister? No, I like her. Well, then why, why would you act ugly toward her? You know, this whole conversation. By the end, I'm like wanting to go hug my sister. You know, it's just, just crazy. Well, God has a way of teaching us lessons, and he wants to invite us up onto his lap. He doesn't want to slap us and hope we figure it out. So if you were raised like that, you got to get that off of you. You have a God who loves you, believes in you, and is really patient with you, And he wants to help you make good decisions, and he wants you to learn from the lessons that you have in your life. So if you have a program, turn it over. We're going to go real fast on a couple parts, and we're going to stop and hang out at a couple parts. Number one, Peter has a vision from God. Peter has this big, grandiose vision about Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. Up to this point, it's all been the Jewish nation. No Gentiles. Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. This would be like a sleep or a daydream. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Well, good grief. Right there, that's, that's a nightmare for Peter. Never in his life 
Has he eaten anything like that? So he says, no, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Wow. How many of you are glad for that? (laughs) I'm glad for that one. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Now, this story continues on. You're welcome to read it. My message today isn't about completing this story, but it's just to say that in this story what happens is Cornelius' household is Gentile, and Peter would make a trek to his house and literally go into his house and have a meal with them. This would be the first time that Peter would ever have entered a Gentile house. Now keep in mind, we kind of go, oh great, whatever. It's a big deal because in Peter's mind, this is a sin. It's like God asking you to do something that you believe is a sin. Your whole life, you're raised believing it's a sin. And now God's saying, no, I want you to do this. So Peter has a lot of courage here. Um, This story is perhaps the biggest story for those of us that are not Jewish, which is probably the majority of us in this room. This vision is preparing Peter to accept Gentiles into the kingdom of God. It's unheard of up to this point. No disciple would have ever understood that God's plan would include Gentiles. Gentiles were considered unclean. They were considered impure. A Jewish religious leader in those days would never even go to a home of a Gentile. They would have no association with Gentiles. So we are very thankful today that God included us and this is the chapter. If you're a Gentile, Acts 10 should be your favorite chapter in the Bible, okay? So thank you God for that. Number two, how are lessons learned? Now this gets into the heart of what happened to Peter. He's had a revelation from God. Anybody ever have a revelation from God? Just think about this for a minute. If you have a vision and you know it's God and you see something coming out of heaven and you have it three times repeatedly and it's God's voice, I would say you probably know God is serious about communicating this message to you. So can we agree? Peter knew this was from God. He knew it was from God. He didn't fully understand it. And that's okay because I don't understand God a lot of the time. But he knew it was from God. So that's a very important moment. But we're going to jump about 15 to 20 years, and we're going to read something out of a book called Galatians. And what happened in in Galatians is that when Peter was in Antioch, there were some people who visited him there. Now, again, this this is fast forward from the moment when God reveals this to Peter, and suddenly Peter is going, okay, I know Gentiles are part of the kingdom, I know I had a visit from God, and I know they're accepted. But some false teachers come up to Antioch, where Peter is, and they tell him that you can no longer associate with Gentiles. They're not circumcised. And that's wrong. And God doesn't allow that. The law doesn't allow that. And Peter actually stops being friends with some of the Gentiles that he's become friends with. And he stops eating with them. Think how they felt. And and he talked Barnabas into stop eating with them. So Paul is pretty frustrated here. So you're going to see kind of a rebuke that happens. So here, I'm going to read Galatians 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, 
I had to oppose him face to face. That's never easy. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of, say it with me, criticism. You know, peer pressure isn't just for teenagers. Right? He was afraid. He was afraid of the peer pressure and the criticism that he would get from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. They were wrong. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Listen to verse 14. When I saw that they were not following the truth. That's a big word right there. We're going to talk about it in a second. The truth. There is always a truth. I know some things are confusing, but this is black and white. God made that clear to Peter. And and so when he sees that he's not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, oh boy, a little public shame here. That'll go a long way to knock you down a notch. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Wow. It's not like a big deal to us in our culture because we don't understand the ramifications of what it meant then. But get it in your head and get it in your heart that this was a big correction. I think Peter was completely deflated. I think it took him all the way back to his vision that he had where God had said, Kill and eat. These people are of me. I've created them with purpose. They're part of the kingdom of God. And now Paul has to correct him publicly. I don't know how many times Peter's running around saying sorry to the Gentiles that he walked away from. Have you ever had to eat humble pie, as they say, and just say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, what I did wasn't right? I believe Peter did that. And I'm I'm proud of him for it. That takes a lot of courage. Have you ever heard the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? (laughs) Do you think it's true? When it relates to humans, <laughs> it's, it's tough, but I think we can still be learners. Here's what I want, and I'm asking. Would you right now just posture yourself before God to be in a learning mode? It's like when you hook something new to Bluetooth, right? You, you hit this button, and it beeps, and it's, and it's trying to receive a signal so it can, it can hook up. I want you to do that right now with God to say, I want to be a learner. If you've ever been around someone who wants to learn, it's wonderful. But if you've ever been around somebody who knows everything, because some of you just, let's admit it, you know everything there is to know in life, right? No. I hope that's not your attitude. It's frustrating to be around those people. So we learn lessons, and there's three things in your notes that I'm going to stumble through. Okay, I don't have this all figured out, but first it's this, through gaining knowledge. You can learn a lesson through gaining new knowledge that you didn't have before. It's, aha, now I see that. Well, what changed it? Knowledge. When you have knowledge, you have something that can help you learn something you didn't know before. It can be as easy as reading a manual. You know, I told you in in one of my newsletters a couple months ago, if you read those, and they're really short. I like to keep them really short. That I've been... taking a shot at learning how to weld. And it's, it's just a little feed welder, super simple. So if you're a real welder, I'm sorry, okay? Um, I'm not. 
And I know that. But it's so fun to just watch metal melt together and, and make these little things. And I'll have to show you something I made sometime. But no, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's not. Maybe someday I'll bring something up here. But anyway, I'm having fun with it. But reading some manuals and going to YouTube. How many of you have tried YouTube? And, and I learned. I learned just by listening, by, by, by knowledge. I've never burned myself yet welding. Praise God. I've never poked my eyes out or had sparks hit me. I'm not blind. There are lots of things that can go wrong. But just because I read some stuff means that I had some knowledge. But the next one is probably the, the biggest way I learn, and that's through experiences. That's through experiences. I think for me, I have to kind of get my hands in there. I, I was with my grandson a while back, who's four, and I said, don't touch that, Tristan, it's really hot. He went, and he goes, oh, it's really hot. <laughs> he started crying. And I, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. The next day we went out to the garage where the thing was hot. And he ran over to it and he said, Pops, that's really hot. <laughs> Don't touch it, he said. <laughs> Why? Because he had an experience that caused his mind to remember it. And sometimes our experiences, you really... You can read a book or a manual about how to ride a bicycle, but it's, you're going to have to get on the bike. Right? You're just going to have to. Get, there's some things in life you just have to get on the bicycle, and, and you wobble. You know, when your one-year-old is trying to learn to walk, you know, when they fall down, you don't say, how dare you fall down trying to learn to walk. No, you pick them up and you help them. Why? Because that's part of the learning. I experience these things in relationships. It's huge. Some of you who are, are single and you're open to relationship, you've learned. You learn by saying, I like that trait a lot, but that one, uh, not so much. I'm not going to be hanging out with someone who has this trait. Why? Because you have an experience that teaches you you do not do well with that. How many of you have ever traveled to another country for fun? Wow, a lot of you. Why did you do that? You could have just gotten a book. You could have gone online and seen pictures of everywhere you went. I mean, you would have saved a lot of money for the offering. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding about the offering thing totally. I just thought of that randomly. Um, but, but why did you do it? It's, it's because experience, there's no shortcut for that. When you smell it, when you live it, when you walk the streets, when you touch the buildings, when you have a cultural experience, you learn. So I want you to learn through experience, but it's a big way that we learn. And, and the third one in your notes right there is just through suffering. Through suffering. Now, I don't like this one. None of us do, but some of the biggest lessons we ever learn in our life will come through suffering. Man, I wish that wasn't true. But man, when, it, when, when, you, when you go through suffering because of bad decisions, you are really slow to make that decision again. I was talking with someone a while back who was climbing out of a credit card abuse life and they were so proud that they had just paid off their last credit card and they said to me, I will never in my life abuse credit cards again, ever. And I believed them. Why? Because there was pain. There was pain there. It cost them some things and there was pain associated with that. Bad decisions in my life and pain hopefully, hopefully teach us to think things through just a little bit more. Now, I wish that I didn't have to have pain 
in order to learn. But sometimes suffering is the only way I can learn. I like the phrase, I'm getting a little wiser as I get older. Because it means I've had a little bit of all of these. I've had a little experience. I've had a little suffering. And I, I hope that we can learn from those of you who are a little bit wiser. Okay, number, number three. How and when does behavior change? How and when do I really and can I make changes in my life? This is such a tri tricky topic, and I just need to say it again. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best that I can to walk through three things there in your outline that are going to give you a shot at making changes in your life. But it's blurry. I've been praying a lot that God would help me to embrace this for myself, too. And, and hopefully I can. But I, I, I want to set the stage. So you have Acts 10. You have this vision to Peter saying the Gentiles are in. You have him failing 10 to 15 years later and pushing him out because of circumcision. And Paul confronts him and says, you messed up. You didn't learn your lesson. And Peter goes, you're right. I didn't learn my lesson. So... Um, sorry, let's move on. Okay, this is a wonderful lesson for all of us that we're going to make mistakes. We keep moving on. We adjust and we move on. So now we're at probably 35 to 40 years in and we're going to read something from 2 Peter. Peter is writing this to his friends and he talks about false prophets that can deceive you. Now he doesn't mention Gentiles and circumcision, but I guarantee you in his mind he realizes that he himself had a problem of going back on a commitment he made. So in light of that explanation, let me read it. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter's writing this saying, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. Again, he's talking to a younger generation, whole new 35, 40 years later. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In other words, paid in blood for their life. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful what? Immorality. Just put that in the back of your mind. We'll talk about it. And because of these teachers, the way of truth. There it is again. The way of truth. There's a big word right there. The way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. Aren't you glad we're in a culture that has none of this? But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Peter's putting out a warning, I believe, because he himself was deceived. He's saying, you guys, pay attention. This happened to me. And I won't go into the details of why it happened. It's still embarrassing to me, but I knew. God told me, and then I fell back. It was false teachers. They convinced me, and I was wrong. Guys, we're in a culture right now that is slowly trying to unravel that thing called truth. And I'm not a, you guys, if you've known me very long, I'm not a pastor that gets up and tries to beat up on stuff and, rant and scream and go off on everybody. I love people. I, I, I love people. We love people as a church. We love them whether they're still in sin, and it doesn't matter what sin they're in, we're still going to love them because God loves them, right? We agree on that? 
But if we love them and we care for them, we have to know there is a truth line. There are absolutes in Scripture that I didn't make up. I don't even like the fact that all of them are there. It would be a lot easier if we didn't have to take a stand on what the Bible calls truth. But the minute someone tells you there is no such thing as sin, they are lying to you. They are lying to you. There is such a thing as sin that can separate you from God. And God loves you. And he puts these guardrails out there and tells us, hey, avoid this and this and this because I love you guys too much. When you get out there in that pasture, oh boy, it's going to wreck your life. There's going to be a a lot of bad stuff that happens. So stay inside the area and have fun playing. But when we go outside those rails and we go against Scripture, there's going to be consequences. People, I've had someone recently say, well, you don't understand that those are your consequences and what you call sin, I don't call sin. I was like, okay, okay, we'll see how that works out for you. Um, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to believe in gravity either if you don't want to. That, that's the mindset some of these people have is, well, I don't, I don't believe in it. I don't want to believe in it. I don't, I don't care. And, and I've, I've, I've used this illustration a couple times, but this is just a chapstick. So you don't believe in gravity? No. Okay. You believe in gravity yet? No, not really. <laughs> Let's try it again. You believe in gravity yet? No, not really. It's my right to believe what I want. Yeah. And then you kind of have this mean thought like, Lord, remove gravity from this person's life and then they'll, they'll be gone. <laughs> I, I will no longer have to deal with them. No, we don't want that. We're not wishing evil on somebody. We don't want people to suffer. These guardrails are there because God loves you. But I'm telling you, don't deceive yourself into believing these lies that our culture is putting out there. It's, it's not going to get easier, but stay by the book and live by the book and know that there are lines that God has called you to live within because he loves you. I, I have three things about change. Heart change is the first one there in your outline, heart change. And I promise, all these sort of wind together. I can't separate them, but to talk about it, I need to separate them. Heart change. Until I have true heart change towards something or toward a behavior, I'll never change. The heart, we use it for, there's seven different Greek words for heart. I mean, it's just crazy. It, the, the blood pumper, but we also use it for like feelings and emotions. I love you with all my heart. So there's a lot of heart language in scripture. So I hope you can understand this when I say, when your heart is open to change, you have a crack at it. But if, if someone has a closed heart toward a person or something that they're being asked to change, they can go through a pattern of actions that look like they've changed, but if their heart hasn't changed, they really hasn't, haven't changed. And no one knows your heart. The Bible even says no one knows your heart, only God. I hear people say sometimes, well, they have a really good heart. You don't know that. You don't know that. You might think that right now. Have you ever thought someone had a really good heart until? And you go, ah, where'd that come from? I didn't see that coming. And wow, do you learn from that? Because you trusted. You trusted. So heart really matters. And 
only God can change a heart. He, 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 has, to, he has to be in your life to, to talk to you. You've got to listen to the voice and let God work on your heart. Very important. The second one is attitude change. And again, these are together. An attitude change means that I have a, seer, a sincere desire to, to listen and to understand, and I'm going to have an openness in my life to, to not think that I know it all. And it, that's an attitude. You can read attitude by people's behavior in the room, how they sit in a meeting. Are they receptive to learning new things? Or are they close to it? Attitude is everything. It's everything. And the last one is mind change. And again, heart, attitude, mind, all these are really one thing working in your body. But I want to talk to you just for a moment as we wrap up about learning to capture thoughts that come into your mind. Because this is the key of changing behavior. had a wonderful conversation just out in the hall a while ago about this topic of can't I just push a button and change my behavior? Well, yeah, there are certain patterns that I know if I decide to get up at 5 o'clock every day and I set my alarm, I could do that. But it started in my mind with the desire to do that. So there's always something that's triggered in your mind before action is possible. So I'm challenging you this week to capture your thoughts that you know hold you back. Might not be sinful. Or it might be sinful. It might be greed. It might be lust. It might be whatever. Capture those thoughts. If you journal, maybe don't write them down. If they're bad, someone may read that someday. <laughs> but, but put a symbol there that you know what that is. But ca start capturing your thoughts. If, if you do this as a discipline or just willingly say, I'm capturing that. I'm grabbing that. I'm grabbing that thought. That's not the thought that I want to have. Then suddenly you will begin to see you will begin to see that you're gaining control over where your mind is trying to take you. And you can do this with or without God. It's easier with God, but you can train your mind to absolutely have change that can come in by capturing your thoughts. Peter had a mind change in order to love and care for Gentiles. This was sin in his life, and he did it. And he said, I'm, I'm going to love Gentiles. I'm going to go over to their house and eat. I'm going to have them over to my home. And he, he did it because he was capturing these thoughts. One of the last things that I want to leave with you is, are we a church where we allow people the flexibility to grow into their faith? Is this a place where we give people space to have changed minds, changed hearts, changed attitudes? You know, I, I hear stories all the time that people want to tell me about something mean that someone did at Timberline because it so surprised them. And, and so they, they, they take great joy in telling me, <laughs> oh, this Timberliner did this to me. Don't, don't you feel horrible now? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I, I know this. I know that we are a culture as a church that says let love live. And that means that we have a lot of people here who are just starting their journey. They're first graders. They're learning to walk. And you know, you scowl at somebody, you give them that look, you snap your fingers, you try to, you might run them right out of this building. Because they're not used to this. You know, the, the world and the church are very different from each other. So I, let's just work on being a space where we can give people grace and mercy 
We can let them ask questions without rolling our eyes like that's a stupid question. You know what I'm saying? We had a, a real challenge here a few years ago, and I'm not going to say any names. First of all, I don't know who this person is, and if it was you, don't come and tell me it was you. I do not want to know. I, I mean that. I don't. But coming into Christmas, this is a good time to tell this story. We were filling up on Christmas Eve, and they were at, all the services get busy, but we have room for everybody. And so this person was saving, I don't know, four or five seats for their family. They had never been to Timberline before. Someone invited them and said, it's a short half an hour service, it's candles, it's fun, your, your family will love it. So they said, let's go together, maybe start a new tradition. They're not church-going people. So they, they showed up uh, just in time for her to save some seats, put some programs out across three or four seats to save for her family. And someone from Timberline, and again, I don't know who this person is, someone from Timberline, came over and it was filling up, it was time to start, and all the seats were taken except they saw four in a row or whatever it was. And so they said to this lady, are you saving all these seats? And they said, yes, I am. My family's on their way. They're in the parking lot. They just text me. They're coming in. And she said, do you come here all the time? And she said, no, this is our first time to come here. And she said, oh, good. Well, I come here all the time, and I'm going to sit in those seats. Because this is my church. You, you, would, you would never, how many of you would know better than that? Yeah. But, but not everybody does. And I know, you're thinking, they should. Find them. Firing squad. Right? Fortunately, a person, a family, was sitting right behind this and heard the whole thing. And there were five of them. And the gal got up and was in tears and was over in the aisle when this family all got up and said, these seats right here are for you. We're heading out, so you're, you get to sit right here. And the family came in, joined her, and they sat right there. Which person do you want to be? It's a pretty easy decision, isn't it? But it all starts with the little decisions of your mind of will I learn lessons well or will I live with entitlement or will I be a servant of Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Lord, this matters to us, all of us. We care about this stuff. You care about this stuff. So we ask you in this day to do surgery on us because you love us so much. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks for putting up with us but loving us anyway. We are indebted to you forever and we love you. Help us to make the world a better place by the way we love by the way we give, by the way we care, by the way we engage. Put these things in our heart of hearts. Help us to capture these things in our mind that are not pleasing to you and deal with them. Help us to learn our lessons quickly so that we can be light and salt in the world we live in. With heads bowed in our living room today, and those of you in the South Auditorium as well, I just... I don't even want you to raise your hand to these two questions, but I want you to just ponder them for a moment. The first one is this. I think God is really, he's really putting something in my heart that does need to change in my life. Whatever it is, I'm not going to give a big list, but if you just feel prompted by the Lord that he's showing you right now, 
hey, this kind of needs to change in your life. Um, can we work on this? And God will be there with you. He'll help you capture those thoughts. It could be something really little, not even sinful, but it's just a, an attitude or a chip on your shoulder, whatever, whatever it is. But you don't see it. That's the problem is we don't see it unless the Spirit reveals it to us. So I want him to do that right now. Lord, reveal. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And to not be afraid to work on this. Not because of works that make us better, but because of humility that wants us, that we want to serve your, your world better. Secondly, how many of you would say, I need to develop a little more patience with the first graders at Timberline? And I, I'm, I'm sad sometimes that I walk in judgment. Um, that's not a lifestyle that I have ever been in or appreciated. And it's hard for me when I see this and this and this, or I hear this and this and this. But right now you're just going to say, I'm going to love, I'm going to embrace, I'm going to care for people that are starting their journey. Lord, may it be for all of us. And if anyone is here separated from you right now, would you just draw them to yourself and let them decide to follow you and to hear your voice calling them to the transformation and the renewing of their mind. We give all this to you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.